Hey there, e-commerce enthusiasts. Let me tell you about a game changer in shipping, ShipStation. It's the ultimate platform for simplifying your shipping process. With ShipStation, you can easily import, manage, and ship your orders in no time. It integrates seamlessly with your favorite e-commerce platforms and carriers, ensuring a smooth workflow. Gain valuable insights with their powerful analytics and reporting tools. Say goodbye to shipping headaches. Visit milwaukeemafia.com slash ship and level up your shipping game today. You're listening to Milwaukee Mafia, your podcast dose of Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Milwaukee Mafia. I'm Eric. I'm Gavin. Gavin, we're back after a short vacation. Yep. So, what do you got for us today? We got uh, the story of uh, Eric uh, smuggling things out of Colombia. Really? No, not really. That would be cool, man. <laughs> no. no. Did you bring anything back I, from I Columbia? didn't bring, not bring anything. I brought my bracelet back from Colombia. So, okay, that's so it. No, no cocaine. And you could see, look at it, there's not cocaine infused no, in there's it not. or anything. It's the only so. thing you brought back was a little bracelet. Pretty much, yeah. Oh, I think okay. Tracy brought back a bunch of dresses and stuff like that. Oh, okay. I okay. just go to hang out, man. I that's don't cool. go to spend money. So. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. All right. No, so for real... What we have is, I call this Lake County Gambling. Is there a Kenosha connection? So I'm going through the timeline, and when I do this, so just to explain how how I do this, how I put these episodes together, what I have is I have all these FBI files that I haven't taken the notes out of yet. Okay. And I, what I did is I went through and I put them in order as far as like, what the earliest date in them is. And then, so I've been copying them over in that order to try to like stay ahead of the podcast. (laughs) And then what I'll do is I'll go back through the notes and I'll be like, okay, what in the, this part of the timeline do I have enough to put together an episode? And there's a lot of notes. Like the notes right now are 320 pages. So like there's, there's no shortage of stuff, (laughs) but it's like, what's enough to actually turn into an episode. So this one is about gambling in Lake County, which is like the northern part of Illinois. Okay. Possible connections. And it overlaps with Chicago stuff. I'll tell you a little a little thing that I think you might know, but I don't think the listeners know. So I'll tell I'll tell the listeners a, a, a secret here. Okay. You ready for the secret? Back in twenty thirteen, that's ten years ago. Uh, I was working with another mafia researcher on an encyclopedia-style book on the Chicago outfit. I mean, we did a ton. Mm -hmm. Just a a ton of stuff. And one entry I wrote was on a man named Leslie Cruz. And my full rough draft of that is is four pages. Um, At this point, I don't think the book's ever going to happen. But some of the stuff from the Leslie Cruz article ties into this stuff. Pulled it out of there. And I put it in here. So this is so I it started off as like this Lake County gambling, but by the end of it, it's I'm actually going to tell it as a Leslie Cruz story. Okay, that's what that's why to explain why I'm shifting this to a Leslie Cruz story, which is a Chicago story. It's just to give it some kind of a narrative. All right. So now you said Lake County. So Lake County is that I, I assume that's like Gurney, yeah, Waukegan type area. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, Lake County is like everything north of Chicago. Okay. 
Okay, so Leslie Cruz, born October 5th, 1906, in Niles Center, Illinois. I don't know the difference between Niles Center and Niles. Don't ask. I don't know. Yeah, but well, if it's if it's near Niles, though, I mean, you're right. It's literally everything north of the city because yeah. I don't think that there's anything, you know, between Chicago and Niles, really. <laughs> so yeah. I think they kind of butt right up to each other. Yeah, his, so. his father was a florist and a village trustee, which is, I mean, basically an alderman. Family was German, which I just throw out there to say, like, this guy's not in it. one of the Italian guys. Leslie's official employment for much of his life was a secretary treasurer of the New Way Food Service Equipment Company, which was largely legitimate and had contracts to provide services for school districts, universities, and other things where they would bring in food service equipment. Okay. They also sold and serviced beer lines, which that in itself is a pretty good business to have. Mm-hmm. So again, this is one of those guys that doesn't really need to be a mob guy. He's doing just He's fine. fine. Yeah. May 1940, he was picked up by the U.S. Marshals, along with Jake Guzik and Morris Goldstein, and was charged with violating the Radio Communications Act. They were receiving race results by phone and then transmitting them by radio into the 81 Club, which was in the next-door building. Guzik and Cruz operated the 81 Club, while Goldstein had the radio. They were held on $5,000 bond each. I'm not sure how that turned out. So to clarify this, here's here's what happens. They're gambling in the 81 Club. Right. But to get around, like, oh, we've got a wire, a telegraph wire that comes in and tells us race results. To get around that, they have it coming into the building next door. And then a guy basically, like, telling them the results over, like, the phone or a walkie-talkie. Okay. So it's like, oh, you can rate us all you want. There's no wire in this place. <laughs> but if you go next door, there is. Right. So they were found out. Jake Guzik, uh, old-time Chicago mobster from the Capone days. So people who know the Capone stuff might know that name. We uh, have probably covered this in other episodes, but I just want to clarify it. They're getting these race results in via telephone or whatever. Yeah. Is is this illegal because the races are actually occurring in another state? So it's like the results are crossing lines and that's what makes it illegal? This is a That's a great question. I don't know specifically what the illegal part is. I think it's just the gambling in general that's illegal. So we're just at it because it, I thought that at... We had discussed at one point in time that as long as the result, the races were happening in a state, mm-hmm. that it was perfectly legal. But then once the, the results crossed state lines, it became illegal. Well, if this is Lake County, I would assume you yeah. had said there was tons of races in in, in Illinois. Right. So, so good. Okay. Good, so, good, but good, you're not sure. Question. I don't know exactly what the violation because. At this point in time, this is 1940, you wouldn't have the federal gambling laws that came down. Those came down in 1961. So you wouldn't have that gambling over state lines thing. Okay, so that wouldn't even be the issue. That's not the issue here. So I'm not entirely sure. But because the U.S. Marshals are involved, it's it's something federal. federal. It's involving, somehow how they're using the radio here. Okay. So I'm not sure the details. But whatever they were doing is somehow not okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, 
So you, you got me there. <laughs> now, now I look dumb because I don't even know exactly what the law they broke was. Well, now you got your homework assignment for the next episode. But something to do with how they were transmitting the race results was not a legal way to do, do it. it. Uh, March 1947, Cruz was arrested in Chicago, again with Jake Guzik. Um, they were questioned about the murder of race wire operator James Reagan, but they refused to talk. This was actually a pretty big deal because James Reagan was like the big guy as far as like getting these horse race wires put into all these places. And once he was gone, well, that's when that's when the mob really started running him. They, they were already working with him before, but now they were like, well, we don't need a guy doing this for us. <laughs> By 1951, Cruz was the boss of the Vernon Hills Country Club gambling operation in Deerfield. And again, I'm not exactly sure where Deerfield is, but Lake County. Yeah. I've heard of Deerfield. I'm not sure where it is either. He was also believed to be involved in the Cicero gambling operations known as the Saddle Club and the Royal Cafe. Uh, Vernon Hills brought in wealthy clients from out of state, primarily Wisconsin. And it, and it was a legit country club. I mean, not everybody that went there was a gambler. You could go there just because you <laughs> wanted to go golfing or whatever else. July 25th, 1960. So we're, we're just speeding ahead in time here. A representative from the Lake County Sheriff's Office told the FBI that a handbook, this is what a bookie has is a handbook, formerly operated on Main Street in Antioch, had been closed down for months because of an ongoing grand jury investigation. The sheriff's office representative did not know about Kenosha mobsters taking over the action, but did say that recently a man was wounded at Skinny's Tavern near Waukegan when a shotgun was fired at him because he owed money to some Kenosha gamblers. So he said, maybe there's a link somewhere in all of this mess. Yeah, I followed up with about this with the Antioch chief of police, and he said, yes, it's true that the, the bookie operations have been closed down for a while. And the way I heard it is that the Kenosha gamblers weren't taking over gambling in Lake County, but they were stepping in temporarily as kind of a mutual aid situation because of the heat. Which to explain, apparently because they were investigating gambling in Lake County, the Kenosha guys would come in and run the gambling. And when they were looking into gambling in Kenosha County, the Lake County guys would take over the gambling. To kind of shift where the gambling Gambling was was taking place and who was running it. So wherever the most heat was, basically, they just went away from there and moved it to the other location. Right. So they're like, what you... you think that, like, oh, now the Kenosha guys are running the gambling. No, they're not running it. People are just heading over into the Kenosha area say, yeah. because there's too much pressure going on in Lake County. Okay. That okay. makes sense. I mean, kind of a good way to do it, I guess, if you to avoid legal issues. So. Yes. So this is where we started getting the Kenosha angle. Around June 1961, Robert Kennedy, the Attorney General spoke on television, and he mentioned that there was gambling going on between Kenosha and Antioch. How he knew, I don't know. I don't know who told him. I don't imagine he knew very much. So he just kind of threw that out there. But that did not help the uh, situation. When the Attorney General of the United States goes on TV and says, yeah, we know there's some gambling going (laughs) on between these places. You don't want that kind of uh, publicity. 
must have been a lot of gambling for him <laughs> to mention it on national TV. Yeah, well, but again, this is '61, so this is this is the time when when, when, when Bobby re- Kennedy is like really like we're going after the gambling. So this is he thought it was a big deal. We might not necessarily think it's as big of a deal as he thought it was. Uh, an informant told the FBI in July 1961 that a place no, known as the Old Homestead Tavern was no longer a gambling location, but was now used as a parking lot for gamblers. <laughs> they could be picked up from there and shuttled to a new gambling location in Grays Lake, Illinois. This protected both the gamblers and the operation from detection because the new spot would appear to be vacant. It'd be packed full of gamblers, but their cars were at a different location. (laughs) Special Agent Arthur Grant interviewed James Melius in Waukegan. Melius said that he was raised in Waukegan and was a star athlete in high school. His brother Peter was a Justice of the Peace and Assistant State Attorney. His primary business was operating 90 jukeboxes, which he did in partnership with another man. Milius was also working on developing a piece of property by Grand Avenue in Waukegan, along with an insurance agent. Milius said that he had formerly been a bookie, uh, but he hadn't been a bookie for about four or five years now. They had nothing to do with the race wires, and they had no gambling connections in Milwaukee. He did acknowledge that he knew other bookies, including Thomas Griffin, who will come up again, and Little Pete Gargano, as well as some gamblers in Kenosha. But he did not want to comment on them because he did not want to get involved. Melius said no one ever tried to muscle in on his jukeboxes or gambling, and no one ever received a cut of his profits. He was strictly an independent bookie. Side note from this, um, Little Pete Gargano, not going to come up again in this episode. He's an interesting character. He's he's a mob guy out of Waukegan. And he is related to guys in Milwaukee and Madison. So he's got that going on for him, kind of tied in that way. He's a mob guy. His son, I don't know if his son was a mob guy, but his son was a, was a notorious bank robber. So he's got that. <laughs> uh, whether he's a mob guy or not, he's still you know doing the fun stuff. He might come up again in the future. He doesn't come up again here, other than just like they're asking him which gambling figures he knows in the area. The Chicago FBI spoke with reporter Sandy Smith in December 1961 concerning a recent story that he wrote. Uh, Sandy Smith was a very well-known reporter in Chicago, and he often would have like inside information on things going on in in mafia circles. Um, I think law enforcement was feeding him information, but I also think he had like a lot of people on the street to talk to him. He always seemed to know more than the average person. Very famous in his day. Anyway, he had written an article saying that Frank Belstree, our wonderful Milwaukee <laughs> mob boss Frank Belstree, had a link to Lake County gambling. So the FBI wanted to ask him about this because this was news to them. <laughs> Sandy Smith had received a tip about gambling at the Old Homestead Tavern on Highway 41, being run by bookie Tommy Griffin. This operation was apparently moved to a farmhouse on Edwards Road, just east of Highway 45. This is, again, where people are parked and being shuttled over. Mm -hmm. Smith stopped out on a Saturday afternoon and confirmed, indeed, there was a flurry of activity happening there. He told the FBI regarding his reporting that Bellstreet had a piece of this, 
He admitted that this was merely speculation based on reports that he had heard that Belstreet was providing the race wire service to Lake County. Long story short, this is crap. <laughs> this okay. Is, this is crap because he's reporting that like, oh, we heard rumors that there's he's providing the race wire service into Lake County. Therefore, I'm going to speculate that because the race wire is going into these Lake County gambling places, Belstreet is getting a piece of the gambling there. There's nothing to support this. But even though, like, so he reported in the paper, and of course, as soon as he reports in the papers, then the Milwaukee paper is going to be like, hey, this is what Sandy Smith said. It's crap. <laughs> like, there's nothing to show that, that he had any, Belstreet had any connection to these gambling places. And I don't even know where this race wire thing came from. It makes no sense, at, no sense at all, that people in Lake County would be getting their race wire from Milwaukee. Yeah, because it would just be a lot easier, right, to get it from, like, the Chicago mob. And right. They probably had a better race wire. Yeah. Anyways. I mean, I can't say 100% that that's not true, but I don't have a single shred of evidence that it is true. But So know, I'm like, this makes no sense. Why would you do that? I can give you a thought on why they might have done it that way. Okay. Because... You said that they Lake County worked really tight with Kenosha. Yeah. Kenosha had that connection with Milwaukee. Right. So maybe it was just that was the easiest way to get a race wire. You know, because they knew the people to get the race wire from Milwaukee where, yeah, it probably would have made more sense to go to the Chicago mob, but maybe nobody in Lake County had that connection, whereas Kenosha did have that connection with Milwaukee. Yes. But here's the problem. Okay. <laughs> That's true that they've got this this exchange deal going on with Kenosha, and as I said, like little Pete Gargano's got like the the family links up to Milwaukee and Madison, so he's definitely you know he he might go to them before he went to the Chicago guys, right? We got to go back to the beginning of this whole story. Okay, the big guy running the gambling here is Leslie Cruz. Okay, and Leslie Cruz. Is a Chicago guy. Okay, so he's a, he's a, he's actually a member of a mob in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so then, then now that doesn't make so any sense. he's you know he probably knows Frank Belstreet. A lot of the guys that he hangs out with, I know, know him, but he has no reason whatsoever to go to Milwaukee. Yeah, like that's just not. It makes no sense. An informant visited the old Homestead Tavern uh, in November 1962. The gambling was back there now <laughs> from the other place. Um, and he saw a roulette table, blackjack, craps table. They were also raffling off 25-pound turkeys. Nice. The place was jammed with people, both men and women. And the old homestead was believed to have taken in $30,000 that night. No clue how the informant comes up with that number. <laughs> but if true, that's a lot of money. Yeah. I don't know how he would speculate on that. Uh, handyman Richard Burness, who lived with Leslie Cruz, remodeled the Vernon Hills Country Club in November 1962. Uh, Burness was a jack-of-all-trades and had been an accomplished wrestler in his youth, for fun. He installed a new safe, um, additional dice tables. Uh, he put in an intricate system of walkie-talkies and lighting that were used to keep unwanted guests off the premises. Definitely Vernon Hills going strong here. And then... The Vernon Hills Country Club is raided in February 1963. The Lake County Police rounded up 60 gamblers and 12 employees, 
including an employee who was a former police officer. $2,500 in cash was confiscated, which doesn't sound like a whole lot if these other gambling places are bringing in $30,000 a night. Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> they might not have found all the cash, man. <laughs> yeah. You know? The on-site manager of Vernon Hills was identified as Tommy Griffin, this known bookie in running these gambling places in the area. Also, there was Lone Sharks, Morris Goldstein, and Morris Sletko, um, who were said to be on staff to help gamblers who ran out of cash. I don't know who Sletko is, but Goldstein is the guy who came up very early on in our story with the walkie-talkie room-next-door thing. Okay. So he's been a, a buddy of Cruz's for 20 years at this point. April 1963, the Vernon Hills gambling was rumored to move to Rondout, which I don't know where Rondout is, but apparently, according to my notes, it's near Libertyville. Okay. <laughs> so I had, to, I had to make a note, because I know where Libertyville is, but I don't know where Rondout is, so apparently it's near there. Repair work was being done there in June 1963. A raid was set for later in the month. Apparently, the patrons left before the police arrived. Maybe they got tipped off. We don't know. But when the police showed up, Nobody was there gambling. Milwaukee FBI agent interviewed Dr. Clarence Steiner in August 63 concerning his gambling activities. Steiner said he was born in Richfield, Wisconsin, uh, and attended Marquette University and Marquette Medical School. He had gambled at the Old Homestead Tavern and the Vernon Hills Country Club in the past, but definitely no more recently than 1960. The FBI agent questioned this timeline, saying, you know... I don't know if these places were open at the time you're saying there are. And the doctor thought of it, but he goes, yeah, you're right. You know, I think I, mu I must have gambled there up to 1962. Which, uh, being questioned in 63, that means he was there just like last year. So, <laughs> so his, his memory of his, his time frame is not great. <laughs> Steiner said that he was introduced to the gambling hangouts through a friend named Jack Goodman, who had since died. He went with Goodman a few times and then went alone. Steiner said he never allowed himself to go into debt to the gamblers, and as such, he had never been called by them or tracked down for money. He admitted that he would go to these clubs, but he's like, it was just a fun thing. Didn't have to take out loans with the loan sharks. It was cool. So they didn't get a lot of information on it. I mean, it still doesn't make it any more legal, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure. So. No. No. After 1963, the Vernon Hills country club and the old homestead tavern and the related gambling elements seemed to just start fading away uh, and Leslie Cruz found himself more a legitimate businessman and less a gangster however he would continue to associate with Chicago outfit leadership for the rest of his life something that brought unwanted attention to his business associates from law enforcement and the federal government contracts that his business had with various schools were used by the government to show that there was mafia infiltration, which, in my opinion, is not at all an accurate description. The vast majority of the owners and employees of these businesses had nothing to do with the mob. This, they're like, well, this guy is one of the owners, and so therefore this, this mob thing. Like, mm. eh, it takes a little more than that. When Rocco Fischetti passed away in July 1964, Leslie Cruz was then elevated in importance in the mob. That was, Fischetti was a formerly his boss, more or less. And then following the death of Murray Humphreys in November 1965, Cruz would frequently have meetings with Gus Alex and, R and Ralph Pierce. These three were now the highest-ranking members of the Chicago outfit who were not Italian. By 65, 
He's no longer heavily involved in the gambling, but he's like top-level Chicago mob guy. In October 73, jumping ahead, Cruz had a massive heart attack and was confined to the hospital in Evanston. When interviewed by the FBI, he said he had no involvement in organized crime for the past dozen years. He had no associates in Lake County. He said, my last friend in Lake County was Tommy Griffin, and Tommy Griffin had since died. His income was solely from his legitimate business, and when he met with his Chicago Mafia friends, it was strictly as friends. The FBI agent then asked the nurse if she could give him special attention because he had lived a rough life. <laughs> the nurse agreed, and Leslie Cruz greatly appreciated this gesture. In March 1976, Leslie Cruz had his fourth heart attack. Wow. And was again confined to the hospital. He never recovered. Uh, his wife passed away in 2008. Wow. And as far as I know, his son is still alive, so I won't talk about his son. son. But he's legitimate anyway. Nothing huge and exciting in this episode. So you've listened to this far, I can say, sorry, it wasn't that huge <laughs> it wasn't and exciting. wasn't that great. <laughs> but, well, it's not that it wasn't that great, but it's like, this was the thing during this time frame, it came up a lot where the Milwaukee FBI kept hearing about the Vernon Hills Country Club and the old homestead. And then, of course, somebody passed, somebody, I assume from the FBI, passed this on to Robert Kennedy. So then it got like this big headline. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like the reality matched the publicity here. When they start looking into it, it's like, yeah, you got this Chicago guy who's kind of overseeing the gambling. Um, so it's definitely like, it's clearly a mob-related gambling operation. Like, no doubt about that. But it doesn't seem like it's that huge. Yeah. I mean, really, I think you only really mentioned two primary places, the Vernon Hills Club and then Yeah, there's, then there's, the, there's, old, there's old Homestead and there's and there's the Vernon Hills, and occasionally they would shift where they would hang out if they had to. Right. But it's pretty much those two places, and they were, as, as I understand it, they were run by Leslie Cruz, but Leslie Cruz was pretty much never really there. It was like this Tommy Griffin guy who was on site. And yeah, and they would they would have like exchanges with Kenosha as far as like you send your gamblers here, we'll send our gamblers there. Not a huge link there. The Frank Balestrier link proves to be pretty much like if there is one, it's so weak. It's it's like right. it's such a terrible thing. This is one of those things where like the Milwaukee FBI is looking into all these things. Like they keep hearing rumors, things keep popping up, and they don't pan out. And you know, and now it's like, as far as like episodes go, these are not like the most exciting episodes. But again, like it's important to point out how many things make it into these reports and how many hours of investigation they put into these things. And a lot of it turns out to be like rumors. And it's very hard to prove a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's important to me to like say like, not all the stories are true. You know? <laughs> you know? I'm not, it's not my job to go out and be like, you know, Frank Pastore was a good guy. It's not my job, and I'm not going to say that. <laughs> but not every time his name was thrown out by the newspaper could they actually back that up. Right. So this time, like, when it was like, oh, he's sending the race wire services into Lake County, like, no, this is probably not accurate. Right. I, what I think is really interesting, well, 
one thing I want to add to you, you said like, this doesn't seem like it was a very big thing, but if they did say Mm -hmm. that, I mean, I I know that it was just an in witness or whatever that said it, but if they were pulling down $30,000 a night at each one of these places, I'm thinking back in that time frame, that is a pretty significant gambling ring. But that's like a ridiculous you, amount of money. But I don't know where he comes up with that number. Right, right. And like, but you did say that at some point in time that they went in and like raided someplace and they got like twenty five hundred bucks. But right. then again, are they constantly moving throughout the night? Are they constantly moving money out of the location just in case it does get raided? You never know. So they I could have been pulling down some serious cash. Right. So and, and in nineteen sixties money. Even if they were pulling in twenty five hundred a day, that's not bad. No, I mean it's not it's not millions of dollars, but it's not bad. No, it's not not bad. But at the same time, is it the amount of man hours and stuff that went into this investigation? Maybe a little over the top on it, right? I would think. But at the same time, this was again everybody's focus was on cracking down on gambling. So so it probably yeah. did was a very normal thing for them to do because everybody was just focusing on it. So yeah. So there's a few things more I'd love to like look into about this. Like I have not specifically looked into Tommy Griffin. I've looked into Leslie Cruz. I've gone through like all the Milwaukee FBI files that mention the clubs, of course, but I've never specifically looked into Tommy Griffin. And he seems like he's the one big link here that I didn't. I don't think I'm going to find anything extra that, that ties into the Milwaukee or Kenosha scene. I don't expect that. But I think it might add a few details here and there and did to the you, story. Did you say does Tommy is Tommy Griffin connected to the mafia in any way, or it, would his connection be that he worked for what was it, he Leslie wor- Cruz? He worked or, for Leslie Cruz. Yeah. So I don't know how you want to explain that. Like if he was a mob guy or not, I I would suspect we would call him a mob associate. That a would mob. be the term we'd so, use for him. Because I, I'm guessing that he really didn't have any. He was dealings. just brought in because he knew how to run these types right. of businesses. Right. He probably just talked to Cruz, and that was it. I don't think he went to any it, mob right. hangouts or whatever. I don't know that again because I haven't really looked mm-hmm. into him. But he's not a name that's familiar to me, so I don't think he was around a whole lot besides just running these clubs. It's interesting, and I do love how they they did do the pass back and forth between the states because I think yeah. that, I think that's clever, and and why wouldn't you do that? I mean, you know, take the heat off of this area for a while, and yeah, it's kind of a cool thing. Yeah, and it, it's it's like it's weird. I don't know how well people know the Wisconsin Illinois state line. I know you know a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, it. The cities and the and the bars like they go right up to the line. Mm-hmm. So it's not like when you say, "Oh, I'm going to send people to Illinois," and Illinois is going to send people to Wisconsin. Like that's not as dramatic as that sounds. <laughs> yeah, it could be like, like a ten minute drive up the road, right? <laughs> like Kenosha goes almost down to the border, and there's cities in Illinois that go right up to the border. And and you know, I know you know that well, there's a bar, right? Isn't it? Isn't Fritz's Tavern like literally? You step outside of Zion, and then you're in Wisconsin, and right there's Fritz's Tavern. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't remember the details of how it works, but it was something like like there was li- something like part of the bar is in one part, it's in one state, and one part is in the other, and it was like to get around drinking laws <laughs> or something. 
Yeah, I don't remember the details, but like the point being is just like that's how close these places are mm-hmm. to the state lines. Right. If they're investigating stuff in Lake County, like Kenosha County is not far. Yeah, and when and when they're maybe busing people back and forth, like a lot of people's head might go to, well, you get on a bus and drive an hour to get to Lake County's casino yeah. thing. Where it probably wasn't anywhere near that. It was probably they put you on a bus and you drove like down the block <laughs> or yeah, something and yeah, you were there. Yeah. Well, so, like, Waukegan's like the main city in Lake County. And and Waukegan is not far from Kenosha. Yeah, like, yeah. It's not a huge drive. No. All right, cool. Well, do you got anything else you want to add to this episode or? Not really. Um, this was just. We're at this point in the timeline, this came up, and I know, again, I know this isn't like the most exciting story, but it came up in the timeline, and so it's like, I want to get it out there. This story might mean something to somebody, like I posted on there, and somebody's like, oh, yeah, yeah. and maybe it was some really old timers even remember this. Yeah, they might they might have been going gambling there, for yeah. all we know. So, so this might mean something to somebody, but uh, but I know like the, the, the Boga listeners are going to be like, I don't care about a couple of clubs and whatever, but... <laughs> I'm I'm just going through the timeline. Not everything's going to be a banger, man. But, um, Gavin, you are way too old to use the term banger. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I love that term. But next time, next time I think will be better because this next time is going to be one of two things, and it depends. I'm waiting on on a file to come back. If it comes back before next time, we'll probably do that one. And in which case, it's an actual death. There'll be, a, there'll be a death episode. <laughs> and if not, the next one lined up is another one of these. I know you like this. One of these like third generation family stories. Yeah, totally. Cool. All right. Well, then with that, we can wrap this episode up. We, again, thank everybody for tuning in. We will be back next week with the Patreon. So if you're not not on the Patreon, get over to patreon.com slash Milwaukee Mafia or just find it on milwaukeemafia.com. And as, well, Gavin, what what do you got for contact information for him? Oh, I don't know. Where, well, where, where do people contact? No, I mean, really <laughs> just uh, milwaukeemafia at gmail.com uh, is the best way. I just got an email. This last week at my other email address. And you're like, how did anybody find that email Yeah, I was surprised, I was surprised <laughs> they, even, they even used that because it's so easy to find the Milwaukee Mafia one. <laughs> I mean, which is email me at the other one. I'll respond to that too. But, but MilwaukeeMafia at gmail.com <laughs> is the easiest way to reach me. Don't don't go through the Facebook. Don't go through Twitter. If you if it's even on Twitter, I don't even know. Do you have a Twitter account? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, none. Don't go through any of the social media stuff. <laughs> Old school classic email <laughs> is your best way to, to get your message read and responded to. All right, well, way to lay it down there for them. Yeah, so. but we will be back next week, and we thank everybody for tuning in. See you on the next one. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Milwaukee Mafia podcast. Join us next time for another look back at Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history.